Well, good morning again. It's good to be here. Um, I'll tell you something that happened to me last Sunday afternoon, right after the worship service. I'm in my vehicle driving down the highway. I turn on the radio and just happened, the, the song, the first song that pops on there is Bruce Springsteen's 1975, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. What a fantastic rendition of that song. So I, I am just cruising along the road, me and the boss, and he's singing a little bit, I'm singing a little bit more, and the E Street Band is, is rocking away, and I start listening, though, to these words that I am belting now, moving on down the highway. And I get to thinking about those words just a little bit. Um, he's, he, he's telling me, Bruce Springsteen is telling me, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus has come down, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. And I'm just, I'm like, okay, that's it, I'm done. Um, because I don't watch out, I do cry, I do pout. And if there's someone who sees me when I'm sleeping and knows when I'm awake and is keeping score, I'm done. I am absolutely done. And I don't know what you people do who have your elf on the shelf because that's like taking it to a whole new level. And then there's Krampus. Krampus, this goat man, this synthesis from European mythology and... Yeah, go ahead and look it up. Um who, because there are children in the room, I won't even tell you the things that Krampus will do, except he will, if you're really bad, take you to a cave. That's just, I'll just stop, stop with that. I, get, I got to thinking about all that stuff. Santa, elf, Krampus. Where do we come up with this? Why do we come up with this? What's going on here? that would cause us as human beings to infuse this with a holiday ostensibly celebrating the arrival of a savior, we keep adding on all this stuff, uh, I guess to keep us in line. That really at the end of it, when you trace it all down, takes us nowhere but into a place of condemnation. What are we doing? Where does that come from? I, I, here's where it comes from. There's a deep-seated sense, knowledge, that we all have as human beings across cultures and generations and every, across every line you can think of. We have this sense, there's this echo, there's this knowledge, there's this awareness that there is condemnation and it just keeps coming out in all kinds of ways, which is another one of those things that we need to speak about and, and, and address. And by that, I mean in terms of this little Advent mini-series. This is the third of the three. The gifts that we have been given that we need to part with, that we need to reject, that we need to punch out. We need to exchange that gift, if you will, I'm putting the heavy air quotes on that, that gift of fear for faith, that gift of despair for hope, that gift of condemnation for love, that we are actually loved. And that's what the Father means for us to know here this Christmas season. 
and the gift that we need to receive and take into our hearts. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd ask you to turn with me now to Luke's Gospel. That's the third of the Gospels that we have, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're in Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 is a very long chapter. Be, be happy, be praised, be, be, or be thrilled. I'm not reading the whole chapter. I'm just reading a little bit of it. Uh, this is not the Judges series where we read like, you know, five pages or whatever. Um, this is just Luke 1 verses 67 to 80. I'm really actually only going to be honing in on four verses, verses 76 to 79, but we need to expand it out just a little bit past that. This is what is oftentimes historically in in church tradition referred to as the Benedictus, Latin for blessing Zechariah's, because of how Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, because of how he begins this explosive song after nine months of silence. We'll talk about that later. Um, the Benedictus. Luke 1, verses 67 through 80. Hear now God's word. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the, prof- by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the time already thus far this morning, uh, for what we have read, what we have been able to pray in response to, sing in response to. Uh, Thank you now for these few minutes that we have here to spend in contemplating, meditating, processing this wondrous song uh, from the old man, that priest, Zechariah, and oh, there's so much here, and we want to understand, we want to grow in our understanding, but Lord, we also know that we have this innate sense of condemnation. What does this have to say about that? What does this have to say about that? Would you show us, we pray, in your name, amen. So this idea of condemnation is not just something that shows up at this time of year, uh, in, in, in holiday specials or traditions or whatever the case may be, yeah, obviously it's something that shows up all the time, rearing its ugly head all through the year. It's, it's a much broader theme than just something here at the holidays. So obviously the war in Israel, there's much condemnation regarding some saying excessive casualties, all are saying horrendous atrocities. You think in terms of the presidential campaign, it's just getting heated up. Both political parties are pointing the finger at the other, in the other direction saying, you're, it's your fault. 
It's your fault that our nation is in the fix, and then define the fix however you want, that it's in. Uh, in cancel culture, whether left or right, really, both sides just want to shut the other up, condemning. And then coming full circle back to the holiday season when it comes to our invitations, sometimes retracted or just never extended because you're no longer welcome here. Condemnation. Condemnation. And Christmas, and by that I don't mean the celebration per se, I mean the event. Jesus is coming. Christmas is the only means, the only hope we have of countering that sense of condemnation that we feel in our hearts. Before we go any further with that, let me set up this text that we've just read and the background for the passage that we just read. So the people, the people of Israel, have been waiting for the coming of this long-promised Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. Uh, all kinds of prophecies about him. And at the same time, it's been 400 years since the last prophet spoke. Zechariah, this old priest, you can go back earlier in Luke's, Luke chapter 1. Zechariah, this old priest, he's, he's there attending to his duties there in, in the temple. And this is a little off script in terms of what he's expecting. An angel shows up, and this angel comes bearing this news, twofold. One, having to do with this child that he and his wife are going to, to have... And the second thing having to do with who this child is going to be the herald of, why it is that, that they're being given this child. Well, well Zechariah hears all this, and he responds with, at the very least, doubt, and perhaps you could even say a bit of cynicism, and for that, he is disciplined. The angel then says, okay, then you're going to have nine months of silence to think about it, and nine months later, in fact, uh, Elizabeth does, in fact, she has conceived. She does give birth to this young boy. Well, of course, all, when they're born, they're all young, I guess. But um, <laughs> So she gives birth to the son. Friends and family are gathered. And Zechariah, now in faith, acting on what the angel had said, names him John. And then comes this song, the Benedictus, these words that we read just a moment ago. Now, what do we hear as we hear Zechariah's words? What's the message? What's at the core of all of this? That Jesus has come to remove our condemnation. Jesus, as the Savior, has come to remove our condemnation, and he longs for us to know that and his love. He has come to remove our condemnation, and he longs for us to know that and his love. Now, we're going to get into that, to explore that a little bit. If you've got your outline there in the bulletin, this is where we're going. In terms of three steps moving in progression, we're going to talk about these three things. Condemnation, pertaining to condemnation. First, the curse of condemnation, that is to say how we experience it in our own daily lives. The cause of the condemnation, where it comes from, and the cure. Okay? So... The curse, that is to say, the experience, the cause, its source, where it comes from, and the cure, the only hope that we have 
And it's seen here right in Zechariah's song. So first, the curse. Where, how, do we, how do we experience this? Where does, how does that land on us in terms of our daily lives? Well, maybe it might be helpful to start with a definition in terms of what do we talk Condemnation. What, how do you, what do you mean by, by that? Merriam-Webster, the online edition. So I looked it up a few days ago. This is how they define it. So without using the word, of course, they refer to it as, as a censure. And as good dictionaries oftentimes do, they then put it in a word. And, you know, you can certainly say this is a contemporary usage of it. The university hastily issued a condemnation for anti-Semitism and calls for Jewish genocide. So that's a pretty good way of using the word condemnation. Now, pushing it further beyond Merriam-Webster, let's go to the Dictionary of Biblical Themes. This is how they describe it. An act of judgment in which someone rebukes and denounces the actions and motivations of another. Now note, there's no reference there as to who's doing it towards whom. That's important to recognize here in just a second because now we're going to talk about not just the definition of condemnation but um, our experience of it. Where does it come from? How do we hear words of condemnation in our own lives? Well, certainly from other people, right? Even though well-meaning but deluded individuals as we're growing up said, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, which is just rubbish. Absolute rubbish. I mean, some of us are still limping because of things that were said to us um, maybe even a decade ago or more. Um, The book of Proverbs certainly speaks to this and the power of our words, both for good and for ill. Proverbs 12, verse 18, for instance. Uh, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, the power for good and for ill of our words. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking power for good and for ill of our, of our words. So we, we, we experience condemnation coming from the lips of other people, but it's not just from other people. It comes from ourselves, the internal dialogue that we have, the voices of condemnation that the source is me, me, myself, and I. That's where it can come from as well. Perhaps you're familiar with some of these conversations in, within your own head, You should never assert yourself. Where did you get off trusting in that person or depending upon those people? You are never going to be enough. You shouldn't have any feelings about that. You shouldn't shouldn't have any needs. You idiot, how could you make such a mistake? The voices of condemnation that don't just come from others... They come from ourselves, ad nauseum on repeat, maybe with a shuffle. Before I go any further with this, I just maybe it might be helpful to ask this question. How do we know when we're listening to those voices? What are the telltale signs of when we are hearing and listening, imbibing voices, words of condemnation? Two ways on the poles. One would be when we move into places of withdrawal and isolation, or it looks like the opposite, but it's really not, except in terms of how it's expressed, instead of withdrawal and isolation, 
um, frustration and lashing out. Because whatever those responses may be, those are telltale signs of the deep injury. And we, like wounded animals, are then either going to hide or lash out, one or the other. Jesus sees all this and invites us into something else. Now, before I get into that, though, we need to talk about the second point. That's the third point. Before we get into the, second, the third point, we need to get to the second point. And not just talking about the curse of, the condom, of our condemnation, that is to say the experience of it, but the cause. Where does all this come from at its root? Tracing it down, down, down deep. Where does all this come from? There's a rupture. There's a rupture. There's a tearing. There's a wound in the whole of creation. There's something broken. There's something crooked down, down, deep. And we know it. We sense it. Um, The best of things never last. Your poinsettia is dying, you know. Um, The worst of things won't go away. We have this sense that, and we we know this, things are falling apart all all around us, all the time and in us. All around us, all the time and in us, if we're honest. We know know that. There's this sense we have of of disintegration, of things gone awry. The separation, the distance. Something's amiss between me and God, between me and me in here, between me and you. Between me and this whole creation, disintegration, flying apart, something's wrong, something amiss, something is broken. We know that. We all know that. Some of you may have heard the uh, story. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but okay, we'll run with it anyway. Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, it is said, it is said that he once got a bit bored and wanted to have a little fun, so he sent a note to six or so of his respectable friends, short little burst of a note, and it just said this, all is discovered, flee at once. And as the story is told, two or three of them left the country. And another just disappeared. Never saw him again. I bring that up because just simply to drive home the point that we all have this sense that something's wrong. We have this sense of condemnation. And the Bible speaks directly to this, plainly about this. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we lay sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own Way. We have turned our back on our creator and sustainer. We have arched our back. If you can think like of a toddler that just doesn't want to be held. Or have arched our back towards the one before whom we should be bending the knee. We have every one of us, as R.C. Sproul was fond of saying, committed cosmic treason against the cosmic king. Turned away from him. And God's response... The just response, the right response, the verdict that he has handed down is, in fact, 
condemnation. It is, in fact, guilt. Um, Paul, the apostle, speaks of this in Romans chapter 6, just very plainly. Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Death being an umbrella way of thinking about that disintegration, everything coming apart. It's not the way it's supposed to be, whether in here or out there. We have an essence, if I can just put it this plainly. We have an essence made the grand obscene gesture to God and said, I don't want you. I don't want anything to do with you. I can handle things on my own. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And God gives us the dignity uh, of letting us have our way. Letting us go on our way, cut off from him in this life and for eternity. Condemnation, dissolution, disintegration, everything falling apart at the seams. That's the cause of the curse of condemnation. That's what lies beneath our experience while we hear these voices from without and from within because, in fact, there is condemnation, an eternal, significant, spiritual condemnation, condemnation, and that's why we need Christmas. And by that, I don't just mean the pageantry and the celebration. I mean the coming of Jesus. Condemnation is why we need Christmas and why we have it. And again, before I get into to point three, let me just suggest this, that this innate sense of condemnation that we carry, this deep knowledge we know we have that we bear of the wounding, of the brokenness, of the twistedness, all of that, is, it, it, it explains so much. It explains so much in terms of what we see and what we do. This may sound a little weird, but for starters, it explains a whole lot about so much good that is done in the world. Sadly, it explains a whole lot of the good we do. Now, what do I mean by that? Because in our mind, we think we can balance out the scales. We think that we can make amends, so we will try to do right, make things right, trying to earn brownie points if you will, with the one against whom we have committed this treason, not wanting to really bend the knee, mind you, acknowledging we actually need him, but just thinking, well, I, I can handle this. I can make up the score. And therein, there's so much good that's done in the world because of that, oddly enough, ironically. Now, friends, you need to hear me say this. That, at best, is a sub-Christian motivation. And really, you could say it's an anti-Christian motivation. It also not only explains so much of what we do, it also explains so much of my defensiveness and yours. Why so? How so? Because if, in fact, my sense of being right, if, in fact, my sense of, being, of my righteousness, of my goodness, is all that I see and all that I have, then the moment you threaten that with any whiff of criticism or correction... It's going to smell to me like condemnation, and I can't handle it. In the words of Colonel Jessup, I can't handle the truth. None of us can. And yet, 
Again, Jesus sees this. And again, invites us into so much more. Isaiah 53, verse 6. I did stop. I only read half the verse. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I also interrupted Paul very rudely. Uh, back in Romans 6, verse 23, I only read half that verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which takes us finally to the cure which takes us finally to the hope that gets down into the roots and deals with it, deals with it in a profound way. It gets us finally to Zechariah. It gets us finally to our text. It gets us finally to the Benedictus. Now, as I said earlier, I only want to look at verses 76 to 79. And because I'm on the third point of a three-point sermon, you know I can't go but so long on this. We do have a 430 service, and we need to have a break between. Um, So verses 76 through 79, let's just come back and look at them again. Now imagine, envision this as I read it, okay? Zechariah, the old priest, is holding his boy, this newborn child that he has just named John, John the herald, John the messenger, John the one who is going to prepare the way of the Lord. John is not the Lord. His role is to be a herald, a messenger for the Lord. And that's what the priest is saying of this boy as he's holding him in his arms and singing over him with these words. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Oh, what a message. At the least, this is a threefold message that, that John will go forward, go forth with. The first part of that message being salvation has come. Salvation has come with the coming of the most, the most high, the mighty one, this king. Um, salvation has come and it is inextricably linked. It is bound with the forgiveness of sin. Salvation has come and it comes with the forgiveness of sin. Now think about how that would land on Zechariah as this priest after all these years standing in the temple and performing all those sacrifices, all those bloody sacrifices, and he knows now salvation has come in the forgiveness of sins. It's done. Well, there will be no more need once he comes. Makes you wonder why, how and why John the Baptist, part of his message was, be, uh, behold, um, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wonder where he got that from. Maybe his daddy. Maybe his daddy. So salvation has come. That's the first part. Second, by God's tender mercy. Salvation has come by God's tender mercy, that is to say the kindness of God, the pity of God, the deep felt inward exploding compassion of God. And again, think of how this is going to land on Zechariah the priest after he has spent these nine months of contemplating what was really mercy to him for his foolishness in speaking to the angel in which he did. And he knows something of the tender mercy of this God. Salvation has come. 
by, the ten, by God's tender mercy as a light to the people. Dawn has come. The shadows are being put to flight just as the prophets had said, just as Zechariah knew and had been proclaiming for years. Salvation has come by God's tender mercy as a light to the people. And that's the message of John the Baptist as, as the herald. That's what he will carry forth. And what the one that he is heralding will bring to bear. Now, what are the implications of this for us, especially in terms of those voices of condemnation that we hear? That good news, that message, what, is the, what are the implications of, of that message for the voices of condemnation that we hear? Well, for starters, if you have received, accepted the news of this one's coming into your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's what you can know. You will never hear the words of condemnation from God. Ever. That's been silenced. That's been done. All is well. Noel. All is well. All is finished. You will never hear such words of condemnation from God. So what does that tell you then when you hear the con- that such words from others? We hear them from Satan as the tempter, the accuser, the deceiver who breathes out these lies. We hear them from others for whatever reason. That's their thing. And we hear them from ourselves. And to them all, that little, that wonderful trio of Satan, others, and ourselves, here's what we can say in response. You don't know the half of it. You don't know the half of how awful I am or what I've done. And I don't hardly know the half of how loved I am in Jesus So be gone with you. Be gone with you. You see, this is the cure for our condemnation. It's the expulsive power. It's the extruding power, the displacing power of God's love for us in Christ. Such that there's no room then for the condemnation. It's gone. It's pushed out. It has no place to breathe. But you say, what of my doubts? How do I know that this could be true for me. Stephen was reading from 1 John earlier. Towards the end of that passage, I won't read it again, but towards the end of that passage, the Apostle John gives us a threefold test such that we can, here's how you can know. The doctrinal test, the moral test, the love test, doctrinal test. Do you, are, are you orthodox in your belief? By that I mean, do you believe that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Son of God, come to save sinners, and you're one of them? The doctrinal test, the moral test. Are you striving Not perfectly, but at least maybe making a little hint of progress. Are you striving to obey his commands? Love, the love test. Are you you striving to at least serve and care for the people around you? Those tests, if they're true in any way, then let your heart be at rest. Let your heart be at rest. But then then you say, you counter, and I I, I know, you, you counter with this. What about that sense of me, that of guilt that won't go away? I can't forgive myself. 
Let's think about that for just a minute, what we're saying when we say that. I can't forgive myself. I want to be kind here but clear. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Full stop. There's, there, there are no end notes or uh, something to look up at the end of the book as a qualifier for this. The apostle says there is now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you're saying you can't forgive yourself. So you're saying his forgiveness for, of you in Christ is not enough. Okay. To receive his forgiveness is to honor him. To refuse that provision, to refuse that pardon, is to reject him. It is to prop up your standards over his. Jesus, friend, please hear me. Jesus has come to remove the condemnation, and he has. Lay hold of the pardon. Lay hold of that pardon and know that it is true for you. Gift cards. I'm going to end with this. Gift cards. There are, they come in many forms. Pretty much, I don't know if there's a merchant out there that doesn't provide them in some way, it seems like in these days. Many forms. Uh, so easy to give, of course. You know, it's such, such an easy thing. It's, it's why they're so popular and why, no, no doubt, no few of us will receive one or two uh, in the coming days. Um, so the problem is not on, on, when it comes to gift cards, the problem is not on the giving end. The problem is on the receiving end and on the using them and putting them to, to, to work. Here's a funny thing. I was reading some, some statistics on this this past week. Did you know millions of gift cards go unused every year? Millions. Every year. In fact, right now it's been estimated that some, they're just lurking out there, lying around, you know, some $21 billion of unused gift cards just lying around the American countryside. Roughly two-thirds of Americans say they have at least one hidden in a drawer, a wallet, a purse, behind the dresser, somewhere. Why? Well, you know, it could be what's been described as inertia. It could be that the card was given for a place that you don't really have anything use for that. It could be that maybe the location is not really convenient to you. Well, that doesn't really make much sense because most places do online. But you also need to, we're thinking about inflation here for a minute. So you don't gain anything. Like you might think to yourself, oh, I'm just going to save up. Here's the problem with that. The longer you hold it, the less value it has because of inflation. You're not just not gaining anything by not using the gift card. You're losing something with every passing day as the inflation just ratchets up. The point being, there's just an astonishing amount of gifts uh, wasted. Literally, gifts wasted going out there. Uh, out there. And, and with that, a great deal of disappointment for the givers 
of these gifts because these gifts were never meant just to be set aside and forgotten about, but laid hold of and used. With Christmas, we have a gift of infinite worth. The opportunity to exchange our fear for faith, despair for hope, condemnation for love. The Lord's desire for us in giving us this is is not that we would cast them aside, but take them up and take them deep, these gifts, into our hearts. These gifts of faith and hope and love that are so much better than we know and then we need so much more than we know. And Jesus has come. Jesus has come that we would have them. And he longs for us to know that, lay hold of that, and his love today. Can we pray? Lord, such gifts. Our struggle, our constant, every day through the day struggle is with fear and despair and condemnation. We act out of that, we think out of that, we live out of that so much. Your provision, countering each one, that we would live out of faith and hope and love. Many things are given, many things are received in this season. We need these more than anything else. And you're the only one who could do this. You're the only one who could provide such things. And you have such costly gifts beyond just inconvenient, beyond just hard to find, but at the greatest cost, the greatest sacrifice imaginable, love beyond measuring, may we know it. And may we lay hold and live out of your gifts of faith and hope and love today. We pray in your name.